Well, welcome to the Young Life Global Leaders podcast. We're so thrilled that you're listening today. Uh, I've got Matt and Tara Bazelli with me. You're going to love their story. Uh, their Young Life history goes way, way back. Well, you're not that old, Matt. I know that you married young, but <laughs> Matt, give us a, a little bit of your Young Life history, and then I'm going to tell everybody how you're uh, involved with the Developing Global Leaders program. Well, my Young Life history probably started back in the mid-80s out of Northern Virginia. had a fantastic Young Life leader, two of them, Rick Beckwith and John Colston, who are still involved in Young Life. Rick is still on staff. And um, my first experience with Young Life was actually going to Saranac as a camper. And uh, it was a fantastic, fantastic week and uh, phenomenal memories and uh, still still cherish those memories today. So I went twice as a camper, may have been 85 and 86, and then... That summer, after my first year of college, I worked on summer staff for a couple of summers and then also worked on property staff at Saranac in 1992, where I met some probably my fondest friends, uh, even to this day, some great, great memories. And that summer of 92, Tara and I were dating and she came to Saranac to work for a month, and uh, which was sort of formalized our relationship. But had a blast up there. And I often tell Tara, I said, one of these days, I'm going to go back and, uh, you know, work. I'm going to go back and do canoe breakfast or something. And, you know, <laughs> he I, did go f- back a few times when we were married. They had to bring him up to um, do some training. Go train the, yeah, uh, the parasailers. Parent. I said, oh, yeah, go do that for the month. And we'll okay. see you. <laughs> somebody's got to serve the Lord or in rough conditions, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was in law school at the time. I even took it. I even took a, about three or four weeks in the midst of law school to go back yeah. to work and help train some people. Wow. So uh, I think it's unfair that only kids get to go to camp. I think there should be an adult camp where we can all do those things. I'm pretty sure we pack it out. <laughs> you know, I think at all these major properties, you're right because they they pack out Trail West every summer for us adults that have kids. And and of course, that is where we met a few summers ago and really hit it off in, in conversation. And, you know, I could quickly tell that uh, y'all had a passion for for young life. And so it was really cool to fast forward. And now you, you two serve on our brand new executive campaign committee for the DGL program. And I know that you have been interacting and, and you sponsor uh, Ashusa in the Congo, in the DRC. What has that been like? I know that you've interacted with him some, and it sure is a perspective giver when you're going through something and then you read about what they're going through in an undeveloped country like the Congo. Yeah, I can only imagine what it's like to be living in Central Africa and going through the same virus we're going through here. We have considerably more resources uh, here to make our life easy than they do there. So I can only imagine what it's like living in a developing nation where you don't have the same resources. But um, yeah, he's an aspiring attorney too, which is one of the reasons why I was attracted to his buy. So I thought, you know, we need to support somebody that, that I think his background, he mentioned he wanted to get into uh, politics and um, in policy. And I thought, well, that's an in- we can make a huge impact by sponsoring this kid and hopefully let him go to law school and hopefully let him uh, have the opportunity to be in leadership in his nation, which is really what we want. That's the whole point of the program. And and I love that because you're a great picture, both of you, of choosing a student based on what they're studying. We've had people choose them because, hey, I'm an engineer. They're an engineer. I want to support someone, you know, in that industry. And that's where it starts. But then you find yourself interacting with them. And, you know, I was reading through his blog and I uh, was able to see some of your comments. And it was 
kind of neat to think that, you know, he he opened up about uh, how he lost someone to COVID-19. And you were the first person from the United States to say, hey, I'm sorry you lost someone that you love dearly to this uh, disease. And so it's amazing to see just that interaction. So so thanks for reaching out to him. I'm guessing that your experience is like uh, most people who are sponsoring students, you know, you learn more from him than they end up learning from us. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I'm, I'm always intrigued with what these other nations are doing. In general, opportunity just doesn't exist there. So we hope to provide uh, that opportunity to him. And education, I'm sure, in those, those particular parts of the world is huge. So hope, hopefully he feels loved. I'm sure he does. He's got a great smile from his bio picture. Just a fantastic smile. So I'm, I'm assuming he's got joy. And uh, we, we're, we're honored to sponsor him, really. Yeah, he absolutely lights up a room. Well, fast forwarding into uh, March as the world is finding out, well, really, as the United States uh, is waking up, I know we were on a spring break trip and it was uh, it was early March. We've got an early spring break in Texas. And every day that was going by, there was kind of this realization that, oh, wow, this coronavirus thing, this is real. This is this is happening. And like, OK, so what's going on in New York? And then suddenly you're starting to notice and walk past people and like, uh oh, they coughed. And, you know, I know it was the realization for me, I had a moment I was in a hotel and we were going down for breakfast in the elevator and someone had coughed and they were talking about a friend who was sick. And, and these were some college kids, of course. And you just go, OK, something is happening and it's bigger than any of us realize. And it just got bigger day by day by day. And it got so big and the preparedness was uh, so heavy, especially up in New York where we had to ramp up a lot. Uh, Tara, you've got a a background of of serving and uh, working professionally as a nurse for a lot of years. Uh, You got a call uh, or an email, uh, just walk us through it, asking you to go serve on the front lines of uh, this disease. What, What was that like? Um, actually, it was even more interesting uh, than than a call or an email. Um, my sister, who's a nurse, my twin, who's a nurse in Montana, um, was working her door with a security guard. Um, that's when they started checking people before they went in. And the security guard showed her an email that he had gotten giving um, an opportunity for nurses. And that meant anywhere in the country. She told me about it. I asked her about it. I emailed the guy and uh, started um I don't know, maybe three emails went back and forth about the opportunity. And I mean, I, ha- I hadn't worked as a nurse for 15 years. I've worked in the hospital for 15 years and I've been off for 14. So got a couple emails, gave him everything that he needed. And 10 days later, nothing happened. I thought, you know, this is not going to happen. Um, this call came. It was a Saturday before Easter. And he said, can you leave? You have five minutes to make the decision. Can you leave for a month tomorrow? Oh, my gosh. I had five minutes and I'm going to this dangerous place. They said, New York. I said, really? Anyway, I said, no. Hey, you're, you're skipping a part there. So in between saying no, she called me. So prior to this opportunity, maybe a month before, she had an interview with a local fairly large hospital chain. So as she told me she, that she declined this job, I asked her, I said, so let me just make sure I understand this. You're going to turn down an opportunity to go to New York to go into the part of the battle. You're going to turn that down and you're going to go work at a hospital where they could put you on any shift they want. And they didn't tell you what hospital 
she, she goes, I gotta go. I gotta go. So she basically hung up the phone and then called me back a minute later or two minutes later and said, I called the guy back at 1030 tomorrow morning. <laughs> I said, okay, let's, let's get you loaded up. So got on the plane and the closer we got, I thought this is, I am now nervous because you don't know anything. You don't know where you're going. You don't know what hospital. Well, you don't, you didn't. Who's picking you up at the airport? Didn't know anything. But um, got off the airplane, put that mask on because I was like, now I'm in like war country. That's what it felt like from all. And I purposely did not watch any news to make me fearful. I just wanted to be confident in what I was doing and knew that God would protect because I knew he put it on my heart. Um, So I, I felt very comfortable in that. I didn't have any fear of that at all. Uh, that's, it's amazing. It makes me think of a couple things. I remember when you went and I remember when you texted out that picture of being one of six people in the airport. And, uh, and, and the first thought was what firemen say. They say, you know, when others are rushing out, we're rushing in. And right. it was a little bit of a picture of your life just going, okay, while well, everyone is avoiding this thing, getting out and, and people in New York, we're indeed getting out, going to Florida, going to other places just to be out of town. And there you were rushing in. And what an amazing experience. <laughs> and but but I like it's even a great picture of marriage, how, you know, you, you say one thing and you have a husband that knows you well enough to go. You didn't really mean no. What you really mean was yes. And here's why, you know, and, and it's just a, it's such a good picture. OK, while you're there. You're in New York. Walk us through just the feelings. So I, I want the feelings from both of you. Tara, what was it like while you were there? What were you feeling walking into the room for the first time, you know, all, having been off for 15 years? And then conversely, Matt, you're at home knowing that, hey, listen, I, I hear the stories. I know that this doesn't go well for everybody, you know, and there's some fear in there of what could the, the next month really look like? How could it turn out? So what, what was it like for both of you? Um, I'll jump back just a tiny bit before that. When I said just in the yes, um, I felt like, wow, I don't want to be made a fool and die from this. You right. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I said, yes, I want it to be, God led me to this. This is not the end of me. This is the beginning of me, mm. you know? Um, when I got there, I have to say I was I don't know if I was scared of the virus as much as I was scared of the unknown. I mean, I spent that first night in bed, just, um, I had my, I brought my like five pound Bible, put that on my bedside. And I was so busy the entire three weeks I was there. I literally only could open up two verses, read a couple things. I didn't know what, I didn't know what to do. I just put my hand on it, you know, going into the patients, first patients rooms or the first day was on, was all COVID positive. And it was just strange to be in that environment of, um, complete bubble. There was, I've never seen such isolation before. Um, nursing is a room, a way, you know, you walk in, you see people's faces, you touch, you do all of these things. And here all of a sudden you can't even see who you're working with. I mean, it took about a week for us to recognize who we'd been working with for 70 hours like who who's that (laughs) you can't see anything Mm -hmm. but i would say two hours into the first day the anxiety just went away and you're on automatic um i felt bad for the patients very lonely looking they didn't talk much there were double rooms which is a difference for me it was an old hospital built in the 1800s mount sinai beth israel hospital and they opened up 
three turned into two um, floors from a closed hospital. So they had to bring beds in, bring clocks in, bring chairs in, bring bedside tables. I mean, nothing. And that was happening while people were in the beds. You know, no clocks on the wall. So they're in these rooms. They don't even know what time it is. I know that's strange, but that's a big deal for a patient. Right. But the anxiety went away and I just felt loneliness for these people. And there were just a few days where I could really be that hands and feet of Jesus, which felt really good. And, you know, I had to remember that, like, okay, I'm here for a reason. The anxiety and the emergencies that would happen, then you're like, oh my gosh, please let me just have a little time so I can not just do what I'm here for, but just do what I'm made for, you know? Right, right. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. The, you know, the, the 30 days, when you're working that much, it goes by quickly. Yeah. And it seemed like, oh my gosh, all of a sudden you're coming back. What was, what is your perspective on the disease now, you know, that, that you're back home? Um, I'm not afraid of things. I feel that I'm bipolar. It goes back and forth, just like with, I think everyone goes up and down, up and down. I know that we closed the units that we opened. So I know that's a positive and that's a tangible fact. Mm -hmm. So things look to be getting better. Um, but I do, I know God is in control and I feel like he is in more control than we are. Mm. And there are places that are bad. Um, there are people that are sick, young kids that are sick, but there, that is every day. And right. it's different because we're putting tallies and numbers on the screens of every screen right. and we're seeing those. But if we did that every day of every year, of every month of every disease of every disease, we would be, you know, when people in healthcare, people die all, all the time. You know, I mean, I go to work and, and someone passes away, but it seems like the only people that know that are that family and the people associated with it. When you start telling the numbers to the entire world and our phones and our TVs, fear cre- increases. I mean, how could it not? But um, I did see from the three weeks that I started there till when I left, the city streets were barren. And they started to get, I only was off the last like 19, 20, 21 days. And literally the streets were different. And I know it's different there, but it was definitely increasing the loudness, the cars, the people on the streets. So that's my take. And that's just one person's take. Wow. No, it's, I mean, hearing from somebody that's been there, that's seen it firsthand, you know, inside the hospital room. Matt, at the same time, concurrently, you're going through this, you're going through your own journey of having your wife gone, literally risking her life on the front lines to go serve people that uh, she doesn't know, um, that you can't recognize, because like you said, with all the gear on, what was it like for you at home, uh, the emotions, any of the worry, any feelings that you went through over the course of that month? Well, let me back up before COVID-19. So, you know, Tara and I had a handful of conversations where we were discussing her, you know, going back to work and doing something. Our kids are old enough now to where they're somewhat on their own. They'd rather be on their own, right? But but they're still under our roof. So the timing was really good for her to go back. And part of really what, what that, that discussion about her going back to work sort of centered around timing. Like, what's the timing of it? When, when does it need to happen? So when this opportunity came, it was almost like it was answered prayer and it covered a lot of bases. Answered prayer that it was 
it wasn't a whole lot of time to consider it. It was either yes or no, you got to go. Right. Right. Five minutes. Five minutes. You got to go, which is really good. Take the bandit off and go. Okay. I was um, pasting in the backyard. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And, I, and I'm thinking like, you know, this is answered prayer, right? This, that's really what I thought. I thought it's going to be an incredibly long time. It's going to be incredibly difficult physically, emotionally, and spiritually. But man, when she comes home, she'll have a new mindset and a new confidence in her ability. And that's often what we need as Christians. I mean, often we need for God to peel off the Band-Aid and, and time for you to go do something different. Time to make an abrupt change in life and go do something different. God will equip you. Like I love mm-hmm. Mark Batterson's uh, saying that God doesn't call the equipped. He equips he equips the call. Right. And that's just it. Whenever again, Moses didn't wasn't comfortable part in the Red Sea. I mean, he, his life was that line. Jonathan climbing the mountain with David. Mm-hmm. He knew that he was going to die. If the Lord didn't show up, now, I didn't necessarily think that of Tara going, but I did think we need to pray for her. We need to pray Psalm 91 over her. So we weren't in any fear in a sense, because honestly, we just sort of felt like the Lord opened this door up. Um, so, you know, and, and home, I think it was also good for our kids. It's good for them to see mom go get stuff done. Right. I think most of the opportunities God gives us are far bigger than we are. So it's, there's always going to be a level of fear jumping into something thinking, man, I'm not, you know, I'm not ready for this or I'm not, you know, you just have to go, okay, well, Lord, if you want me to be a part of this and open up the door. So I think the same situation that was Tara was in, she, she was ready for it. I'm not sure of that. Totally. (laughs) The kids, the kids were very supportive. And I thought, I think that the night before my first day, I was on the phone video with Ashley and I, I just was crying. I mean, I was that scared. And, and she's, she just like, mom, you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. I said, I, and I, it was hard to kind of admit it. I just was like, I know I'm tired. I haven't slept in four days because of the anxiety of coming up to it. Right. And they didn't tell us a lot, which really, really gets you. I didn't know if I was night shift, day shift, you know, what was, what floor was I going to be on? You know, I didn't know anything. And, but all that to say, I just finished signing up again to, for the possibility. How about that? to go somewhere again. Look so out. we'll see. I know this is probably what most people, I feel like I could have done better even. Mm-hmm. Um, I did, medically, I did what I needed to do. Um, but I feel like I was so overwhelmed that I couldn't or didn't as much as I wanted to um, be the hands and feet. I, I, I got to a few times not going to tell you the full story, but it was like three thirty, and I hadn't eaten. Most days, I didn't get to eat at all. But this particular day was a slow enough uh, day, and I'm like, you know, I might be able to have lunch at three thirty, and, and I just knew I needed to do this something for this patient before then. It might take an hour. That might eat up the whole possibility of me even stepping off the unit. Which some days I didn't even step off the unit in fourteen hours. And um, I just prayed, like, God, open up this time, open it up. And I had 45 minutes with this patient Mm, and um, it was the biggest blessing of the whole time. So I just, I do hope for the opportunity again, um, because I know some of those unknowns, which brought so much of the anxiety. Uh, So I I hope that I can do it because I really feel that God really just put that on my heart. I don't know. I've actually... Uh, put an application in for to an Air Force nurse. Like I just have this yeah. something that's bubbling, and I just hope that God probably opens up that door again if it's in this um, event or not. You know, Kevin, an interesting side story is that while she was up there, um, Samaritan's Purse was also there. Mm-hmm. They yes, were sir. staying at the same yeah. hotel Tara was at, and Tara had, you know, last couple of years had talked about joining Samaritan's Purse and. It just happened to be that one of the nurses happened to be a girl that I went to high school with that was involved in Young Life with me. 
So small world. So I got on Facebook, found her and sent her a message and she immediately responded. And I told her about Tara and she said, please have Tara contact me. We could use someone like that. It's amazing. She's up here. And, but here's another young life connection. This girl and I uh, went to Saranac together. Wow. And, um, uh, so there's another connection through young life and I, I, I hope it leads to something. Yeah. Now that's amazing. And, um, you know, I want to give the last word to Tara. Tara, there's somebody listening right now that God has kind of nudged them. They're saying, hey, you need to act on this, whatever that thing is. What would you encourage them with right now? To absolutely listen to that voice. Um, if you feel it, you need to find out where that direction is coming from. And you can't unless you say yes. Yeah, yeah. And if they do decide to say no, then their next call should be to Matt and he'll talk them into it, right? <laughs> I, well, I knew when I said no. I was like, I'm just saying no. I My daughter is coming back from the Air Force Academy and Ash is like, you're doing no for me? You know, I was like, yeah, what am I doing no for? What am I saying no right, for? Right. If someone feels that they need to be doing something to pray about it, and, and God will not fail you in answering that mm-hmm, prayer. Mm-hmm. He will direct you and give you the peace or the unpeace about saying no to a yes that should have been a yes. Right. Uh, I love it. That's so great. Well, thank you so much today for, for sharing your story. Thanks for your investment in DGL and just helping us look at the big picture of how on earth we you know, are going to fund 100 students every year in 50 plus countries as we have a new class that actually launches here in two weeks. Our first set of 16 of those 100 students are going to be in uh, Asia Pacific. And so we'll be highlighting them all summer long. And so Thanks for listening, everybody, today, and we will be back. 